a mindset where that we are not responsible for our actions and neither should there be an accountability or consequences for our actions. Uh, we should all receive the same at the end of the day, that no matter how little or how much we apply ourselves, that we think that we should receive the same reward at the end of the day. But at some point in life, you have to put on your big boy pants. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. And when we stop blaming the blame game and we stop giving uh, power to other people and we begin to say that it's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. It's my responsibility. It's my actions, right? Because if you will listen to society today, they'll give you an out for everything that you ever do wrong. You know, you have this disorder, you have that disorder, you have blah, 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 and, and that's the reason why they didn't change your diaper in time and, and all of this foolishness. But at some point in your life, you got to grow up. Yes, you got to grow up and you've got to take accountability for the way you're acting, the way you're living, and the things that you're doing. And we can't control what life brings our way. Many times life isn't fair. Can I get a witness? But we can have life of victory. We can't control life, but we can choose to have a life of victory. And there's no indication that this woman here in Mark chapter 5 and other the synoptic gospels that, that there's no indication that this woman was bitter. There's nothing that suggests that she's angry at the doctors for not being able to help her. She's been sick. She has spent all of her money and everything is continuing to get worse and she is uh, having to navigate through all of this in her life. And, and yet it seems as though to me anyways, that there's not a suggestion that she's, she's mad. There's not a suggestion that she's angry that she spent all of her money and still having to deal with her sickness. She is taking it on. Negative momentum was against her. She did not get this, uh, this way overnight. The Bible said she grew worse, right? It wasn't just something that she woke up one day and there it was, but it, she grew worse. The mo negative momentum was building in her life and now she finds herself in a worsening place. She finds herself at a weak place. She finds herself growing worse every day. And we all have blind spots. We all have things that, that are so easily uh, pointed out by other people that when we look at ourselves, we can't identify it. We don't see it. We don't recognize it. But to everyone else, it's so obvious. Everyone else, we look at other folks and we say, well, if they had just stopped doing that right there, all right? If they would just stop doing this, if she, they would, if she would just quit doing that, if, if she would just, you know, and, and we, all of that, that we would go in the right, we see it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. 
All of us have that blind spot where that we could do better and it would help us in life because of culture that we have developed for ourselves. When we uh, get down, the momentum is against us and we have a tendency instead of to push forward to give up, to quit, right? And it seems like to me that every generation is weakening. Right? You get the builder generation and bless God, they is going to get it done. You give them assignment, you give them a task, you leave them alone and you didn't have to worry another thing about it because some way, somehow, the task was going to get done. Right? You come on down through the generations and, and it might get done. You come on down through another generation and probably got to babysit them because it's not going to get done. Because they make excuses. They blame other people for why it's not getting done. Right? They got a, we get a victim mentality and then the negative momentum will steamroll over us and defeat us in every area of our life. It's not my fault. It's not, I, I couldn't do nothing about it. Yes, but God says that he has given us the power to live a victorious life. And this woman had a choice to make. She could become bitter or she could start the why game. You know, why me? Why God did, did this happen to me? Why, why am I the one that's sick? Why can't doctors heal me? Why, why have I lost all my money? She could have started that game, but she said within herself. In other words, she said in her spirit, right? She said in her spirit, if I can but touch the hem of his garment... Instead of making, allowing the negative momentum to steamroll her and begin to make excuses and get bitter and start the blame game and why it wasn't happening, she said something to herself. She said in faith, sometimes when the negative momentum is coming against you in life, you've got to plant your feet right where you are and begin to declare the decree the Lord has spoken over you. You've got to declare the word of the Lord over your life. And she, somewhere inside of her, she retched down on the inside of her. And she said, I've, uh, I've exhausted every natural resource. I've exhausted every ability that I have with in myself but if I can touch the hem of his garment she said in herself I don't want to live the rest of my life this way she said to herself if tomorrow is going to be different than today then I've got to do something different today than I did yesterday she said to herself everything begins with a thought <laughs> right? Everything begins with a thought. The professional ball players, how many times, you know, at, at a Super Bowl game, when a Super Bowl game comes up, or uh, whenever the NBA, the finals is coming and the World Series takes place in baseball, they'll start interviewing superheroes or they'll interview somebody who has come up through the ranks and suddenly they're a superstar and they'll interview them and sit down with them and they'll ask them a question, what have you 
you believed or how did you get here? And without a doubt, most if not all of them will tell you that when I was a child, I dreamed about this day. Whenever I was a child, I dreamed about being a professional athlete. I, I dreamed about being an NFL star. I, I dreamed about playing in the World Series. I, I had a dream. I believed in something. You talk to a successful business person and they started with a dream. They, they wanted to build an empire. They wanted to build a, a something greater than, than what was normal. And they became successful at it. It's through your thoughts that those thoughts become actions. Amen. It's not just about thinking. It's about thinking and then putting it into action. The devil knows the word of God, but he don't put it into action. Huh? A lot of us know the word of God. We know things to do. We know how that our life could be better, but we're just not putting it into action. You've got to apply the word to your life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But you've got to have faith and you've got to have a hope. In other words, you've got to have something to believe in. You've got to have a dream. You've got to have something to attach your faith to. And whenever you have something on the inside you're believing for and you have that faith to it, that substance of things that are hoped for that you don't yet see but you believe for, huh? then the Holy Spirit has something to empower, to work with to do in your life, right? A lot of times people, you know, you have guest speakers in and all of those kind of things and I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit totally 100%, but people are looking for somebody to give them a word. Sometimes there's not a word to give over people because they ain't got nothing in them. If you aren't believing for nothing, there's nothing to give you. I'm just pastoring a little bit. But there's got to be a hope on the inside of you. you got to be going somewhere for God to say something to you. Amen. That don't cost you nothing. But it goes from a thought to an action. And I was thinking about an example. We've talked about Gideon in Judges chapter 7, but I want to look at it because Gideon, the other week when I was here, we talked about Gideon and he had a thought and he thought that his family had been slighted. His father, no doubt, handed it down to his children and, and he thought that, that his daddy was second class. He thought that he didn't deserve better. He thought he was a loser. Right? And what does the Bible say about your thoughts? As a man thinks in his heart, watch this, so is he. Brother Gary, it doesn't say if you have good thoughts, so is he. It says, as you think, good or bad, so is he. 
Gideon was living a bad life, subpar life, below his standard life because of the word of the Lord is true. He was thinking it, so was he. He was second class. He was a loser. He didn't deserve it. And because of his mindset, that is exactly the life he was living. But God found him. <laughs> God found him in that state and started pushing on him. Amen. And he began to change the way he was thinking. Because that's where it all has to start. The way, the way that your life changes is you've got to change the way you are thinking. That's the reason why he said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind, your will, your emotions, the, the suke. You've got to change the way you're thinking about yourself. Change the way you think about the Word of God. Change the way you think about the God that you're serving. That He's not just another person. He's not on your level and my level. But He is high and lifted up. His train is filling the temple. His name is above every name. He's El Elyon, the Most High God. And whenever I think about him look at him in that magnitude I'm not just praying to another individual or somebody that's got a little upper hand no I'm praying to the God that does exceedingly abundantly above all that I'm able to ask or even think according to the power that is working in me amen oh I'm so glad God doesn't quit pushing on us I said, I'm glad God didn't stop pushing on me. He had to get Gideon to understand that the number of people against him had not, nothing to do with his success in life. Gideon thought if he could get enough people, I can win against the Midianites. He calls all the tribes together. And whenever he gets all the tribes together, he was outnumbered 135,000 to 32,000. If I'm, my math makes sense, he has four to one odds. And God says, I can't let you win this battle with that many people. Because if I do, you'll sure enough think it was because of the number of people, right? So he tells him, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to tell everyone in the camp that is afraid to go home, right? And 22,000 of them went to the house. Two-thirds of the church left. If that would have been in a modern-day church such as we have today, and we got up and made that announcement and said, everybody who is fearful, go home. And two-thirds of the church gets up and walks out. We'd be running saying, oh, wait, wait a minute. You, you misunderstood what I was saying. I, I really didn't mean if you was... Huh? He has 10,000 people left. And God says, still too many. 
Still too many. 10,000. 132,000. Too many. God says, I tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take them down to the, to the river. I want you to take them down there and let them drink and watch how they drink. Right? Remember the story? Watch how they drink. See how they get water. And so they go down there and they are only, he said, those who are only concerned about their self, tell them to go home. How did he know which ones were concerned about their self? Because they weren't looking for the enemy. They got down and looked into the water. In other words, they, they were seeing their self in the water. Right? They seen their own reflection, not concerned about their enemy. And whenever they did that and they got down and they looked into the water and they seen their self and they had their own identity concern in mind, God says, tell them to go home. So now we see that there are 300 men left against 135,000. The odds now are 400 to 1. It was then that God was going to teach Gideon how to change the momentum. He was going to teach him it doesn't matter how much or how many are against you. It's about what you say to yourself. God knew Gideon was a mighty man of valor, but Gideon didn't know he was a mighty man of valor. He didn't understand and what he was saying to himself is the thing that was hurting him. And I want to tell you today that, that, that we don't have to worry about the external as much as we worry about the internal. Amen. Because you see, it's not what a witch or a warlock or somebody else can do to you. It's the Bible says that you are snared by the words of your own mouth. What you're saying about yourself. Because what you're saying about yourself is what you're thinking in your mind and in your heart. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth begins to speak. And so if you want to find out if somebody has an identity crisis or not, just listen to them for a minute or two and you'll find out where they are. Gideon was a mighty man of valor but didn't believe he was. If you won't believe what God is saying about you, sometimes you just need to listen to what your enemies are saying about you. Amen. In chapter 8 of Judges, I know that I'm skipping around here a little bit, but I want to put this in the context here. Because in chapter 8, Gideon goes into the camp of his enemy and he hears what they are saying about him. The enemy has a dream. He says that there is a, 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 a tumbleweed that rolls into the camp and he says that it, it destroys things and, and he says this is Gideon and into the hands, uh, his hands, God has delivered the whole camp of Midian, right? And whenever Gideon hears that, it changes him. But now he starts believing what God said about him. 
He starts believing he something happens on the inside of Gideon until it raises up in him and he begins to believe that he's a warrior because that's what his enemies think about him. Now I want you to know today that you may not be able to enter, enter into your warfare or the place of your enemy and be able to listen in on what they are saying about you but I assure you today that they know more and believe more in you than you believe in yourself. Why is that? Because they know the God that you serve. Amen. I said he, they know the God that you serve and the God that you serve and the God that I serve today is an undefeated God that does exceedingly abundantly above all and so whenever we go to the enemy's camp we know they the enemy knows our God and knows he's never lost a battle he's know the enemy knows that everyone who is called upon the name of the Lord is saved the enemy knows that when he comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. The enemy knows that if God be for us, who can be against us? You see, the enemy knows all of this evidence that is against him, that a child of God will never, has never, and will never lose a battle. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is against him. Angels are for us. The Holy Ghost is in us. The power of God is for us. There is no way that you can ever lose a battle. The only way you'll ever lose is if you give up. You've heard me say it before. I always win and I never lose because I have a bulldog spirit that says I'm going to hold on. I'm going to make it somehow. And God's grace is going to sustain us and empower us to overcome in every trial and every difficulty. Amen. You see, the enemy knew it, but Gideon didn't believe it. But then he hurt his enemy. <laughs> when he hurt his enemy, he believed God and what God said about him. And with 300 men and the praise, they changed the momentum. With 300 men to 132,000 men, they changed the momentum with a praise. I want to tell you today that it's good to have a worship team that leads us in worship. Thank God for Sister Amy and thank God for the team that prepares and leads us into the presence of God. It's a glorious thing and we thank God for that. But it, they, they, uh, Amy will never praise God for you. This worship team will never praise God for you. The one sitting beside you will never praise God for you. You have a praise that is just like your DNA. There is nobody else can praise like you can praise. Because God hasn't done for them what he has done for you. Even though he has saved us all, we have come out of different situations and he's been faithful in different ways and he's showed himself strong in different situations. And because of that, my praise comes from a different place than your praise comes from. It's like the snowflake that falls in the wintertime. There's none of them 
some that are the same. And whenever our praise begins to go up before the Lord, it creates an atmosphere and an aroma that causes the anointing to become evident and powerful and mighty. And whenever we begin to worship God, what happens? He inhabits the praise of his people. What does that mean? It means that God, yes, he is everywhere at the same time. But he is more uh, knowledgeable. He is more understandable. He is more creative. He is, we are become more aware of him whenever we begin to worship him and begin to praise his name. We, you can have a drunkard stumble up in here. And if we're worshiping God, I promise you, they may not know what it is, but they will sense the presence of God. Why? Because the power of God is tangible it is real and you can feel his presence glory to God what do you say and I'm telling you today that all of the troubles that we're going through our nation is rocking and reeling we don't know what side down from what what direction we are going our, our leadership is crazy but I want to tell you that whenever the church comes together it doesn't matter what's happening in Washington it doesn't matter what is happening over here in the capital whenever the people of God will come together and begin to worship him there will be a source there will be a strength there will be a power that will be able to shift the momentum in our nation if my people which are called by my name would humble their self and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked I will hear from heaven I'm going to come down and heal their land oh we need a healing today we need more than a revival we need an awakening we need the presence of God and God is looking for 300 that are faithful I know it looks like we're outnumbered I know that it looks like everything is going to hell but I'm telling you in the midst of hell stand up open your mouth and say God you're worthy of my praise you're worthy of my worship I will bless you at all times and your praise will be in pot they break their pot they let the light out and when they let the light out it confuses their enemy and they start killing each other amen you know what will confuse your enemy more than anything else you'll ever do is praise God in the face of hell Instead of cowering and running, you may have to do it through tears streaming down your face. You may have to do it with a confusion in your mind. But go ahead and praise him out of your spirit and give him thanks for he is great and his mercy endures forever. Huh? Go ahead and praise him and, and it will confuse your enemy. I just threw my best shot at them and they're still standing in the house of the Lord worshiping God. I just thought I, I just thought I would derail them with that and yet 
they are still blessing the name of Jesus. Amen. When the momentum shifted in Gideon's favor, people started calling him what God had called him all along. They changed his name from Jerubbabel to Gideon. Because Gideon means destroyer. It means mighty warrior. It means tormentor. It means antagonizer. And Gideon was antagonizing his enemy. He was tormenting his enemy. How? Because he just now began to believe what God has been saying about him all of his life. When you start believing what God is saying about you, and the momentum shifts in your favor, and you break the pot, you break the flesh, you break that that is on the outside, you, you become a broken vessel, if you will. Your enemy is going to understand who you are and recognize that not only does he know who you are, but you know who you are. Because as we see here in the story of Gideon, the enemy can know who you are, but if you don't know who you are, you'll still live like a pauper. You'll still live like a loser. You'll still live like somebody who doesn't have the ability or any control over your life. But when you recognize who you are, you will become strong and you will become an antagonizer to your enemy. Now what I noticed is that whenever Gideon came to this place, he became bold in his praise and he tormented his enemy. It's your strong praise that will antagonize your enemy. Weak praise comes from people who don't know their God. Weak worship comes from people who don't believe that they are who God said they are. But bold praise comes from people who know that they are who God said they are. Amen. I know in the past 15 years, I've probably used this analogy a couple of times. But me and my granddaddy used to watch fight Friday night fights, boxing. And we'd eat crackers and cheese. And they would have the bantam weights, they'd have the middle weights, and then they'd have the heavy weights. Right? And we'd sit there and we'd watch those fights, and it was a good time. I loved, I loved the fights. But I also loved the pre-fight. Because they'd interview the fighters. And they would get up in each other's face and they'd stare each other down. And it looked like they're, you know, trying to intimidate one another. And they'd, they would let each other know, I'm not afraid of you. Right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of you. And then, you know, of course, in my time anyways, I know they got these ear biters and all that now. But in my time, it was Muhammad Ali. And I loved listening to him at pre-fight because not only would he say, I'm faster than a butterfly and sting like a bee, there ain't nobody better than Muhammad Ali. 
But then he'd look at his opponent and he'd say, you like your face? You better look at it now. Because whenever I'm done with you, you're going to look like ugly on an ape. And your mama ain't even going to know who you are. <laughs> and he'd scare his opponents to death before he ever got in the ring. I ain't sure. Some of them didn't just lay down so they could get it over with. But I'm noticing too much of that talk anymore. All oh, they still stare each other down, look at each other, but it's kind of sissified. And, and they, they, you know, they don't know what that, all that stuff is all about. And I thought to myself, that's the way the church has become. The church used to stand up in the face of hell and worship God. Strong. Bold. I know my Redeemer lives while their children are acting crazy stand up in the house of the Lord and testify of the goodness of God when they didn't have two pennies to rub together but they knew God would make it somehow and now we can't even get folk to testify should we hold hands and sing kumbaya now it's true it's true because we don't have the confidence in the word. We don't have confidence in the God of the word because we don't know who he is and as a result, we don't know who we are. But when we do come to a realization of who he is and we know who we are, then our praise will be a bold praise. It will be a bold worship. It will be extravagant to where we will worship him and bless him and praise him. And people that don't know who they are don't believe they can do what God said they can do. But people who understand who God is says he's deserving of the praise no matter how I feel. And our praise will become weak when we don't know. But a fighter knows that his, his strong point is telling his enemy who he is. Right? And he declares before the fight ever starts, I'm going to win this battle. And I want to say to you today that you and I can know who we are in Christ Jesus and we can announce to our enemy before we ever finish the fight that we are going to win this battle because the Lord is on our side. Because victory is ours in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, I'm telling you today that we've got to boldly proclaim and declare that our children will be saved. We've got to boldly declare that salvation is coming to our whole house. We've got to declare that this generation and this region will not be the most depressed, suicidal place in America. But this will be a place of joy. This will be a place of peace. This will will be a place of abundance and we declare the word of the Lord until we see the word of the Lord manifest in the earth. Amen. Gideon went from this weak anemic little man hiding behind a, a tent or a building, a barn, afraid of his enemy till he listened in and 
heard what God said about him. He didn't believe that. So he listened in at the camp of his enemy. He heard what he, the enemy was saying about him. And suddenly faith rose up in his heart. And he began to believe who he was. And he took on the mandate that God had placed over his life. He took 300 men and go into battle against 132,000 of them. 142 and they, he annihilates them. They destroy each other and now he's in pursuit. In chapter 8, he's got a bold praise. In chapter 8, he's a confident man. In chapter 8, he knows his God and he knows that he, he is who God says that he is. And Gideon's 300 men were exhausted, the Bible says. In chapter 8, you can read it. And they were exhausted, but they were still pursuing. And Gideon told the people in the city, they said, give them some bread because they're exhausted and they need something to eat. And that the people of the city, they mocked him. And Gideon, it doesn't say Gideon said uh, anything much about it or he didn't stop to, to deal with the situation. He just said, I'm coming back here and whenever I come back here, I'm going to take the thorns of the wilderness and I'm going to beat you with them. Does that sound like the man that was hiding behind the barn? <laughs> Something changed. What changed? His mind changed. His heart changed. Momentum shifted in his favor. And he said, whenever he said, you know, I ain't got in other words, I, you know, just in my own mind, I can see him. And, and he says, I ain't got time to fool with you now. But whenever I come back through here, I'm going to get a thorns of the wilderness. I'm going to beat you with them. And then he goes on to the next city and in the next city he tells them the same thing. My men are weary, they're tired and they need something to eat. Give them some food. And they said, and they mocked him the same way the first city did. And Gideon turns to him and says, whenever I come back through here, he said, I'm going to tear down this tower. Why did he say tear down the tower? Because it was identifiable. It was something that, that in their minds it was permanent. But Gideon said, I'm going to tear down that tower and I'm going to take you out. I ain't got time to fool with you right now. You just, you just little nothings. I'm on assignment. I'm going to go get the kings of Midian. Right? And sure enough, he pursues them and he finds them. And the Bible says that he took the two kings of Midian and he, into a, a captivity. And he takes them back. And now on his way back through, the Bible says that he tore down the tower just like he said he would do and killed all the men. And then he goes on to the other city and he goes to the wilderness. He gets the thorns and he beats them jokers with it. What am I trying to tell you? That's not the same man hiding behind the barn. He believed who he said he was. He believed who God said he was. Amen. There was a shift inside of him. And when the shift came on the inside in his spirit, in his mind, in his heart, the momentum shifted. 
And whenever that momentum shift, there came a boldness about him that he began to make confessions. He began to speak as a man of war. He began to speak not as a weak and anemic loser, but a man of power and a man of authority and a man with substance. And I want to tell you that the same thing will happen to you spiritually. When you begin to believe who God says you are, you'll begin to talk with authority. When the enemy comes against you and mocks you, you'll not take time to, to try to beat him down or knock him out. You'll just say, listen here, I ain't got time for you right now, but whenever I come back, I'm going to whip you pretty good. I'm going to beat you down. Right now, I don't have the time for it, but my children will be saved. My children will not be addicted. My generation will not be destroyed. We will worship God. We will bless his name. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. There's a time in your life when you got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired of every dead end street coming in your life and you say I've got to do something different now so my tomorrow will be different than my yesterday. I'm going to rise up and believe the report of the Lord. I'm going to believe the promise of God. I'm going to hold on to his word and I'm going to apply it to my life. Amen. People around you will know. Your enemy will know. It's not by might nor by power. But by the spirit of the living God. Not because you have so many for you. It's good to have everybody for you, isn't it? It's nice, I guess. It's good. Have, it, it makes you feel good when you've got everyone coming with you, agreeing with you. But when you don't have everybody coming with you and agreeing with you. Huh? You got to know who you are. Those that have been here a minute, you know I'm not a down-in-the-mouth preacher. But I'm promising you one thing. There's coming a day whenever, if you choose to serve the Lord in America, it's not going to be an easy thing. But in the midst of adversity, there's going to be a kingdom established that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And you and I have got to make a choice. Is it worth it? Do we really believe in this gospel? <laughs> Do we really believe or are we just coming to church on Sundays? Because if you believe, you'll be willing to lay down your life. What's laying down your life if you got the momentum for you? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. Glory to God. You believe that? Amen. Praise God. Well, I hope we're hearing it. I hope we're receiving it. I hope we're getting what I'm trying to relate to you. I'm saying it in a way that you can hear it. 
But you've got to believe. This isn't mind over matter. This is the word over the matter. This is the truth over the matter. Amen. Wow, those new age folks almost got it right, didn't they? They just missed out one major component. And it isn't you. It's the God in you. But if you believe the God in you, all things are possible to him that believes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Stand with me today. The first step in knowing who you are is to know who God is. Without knowing who God is, you'll never know who you really are. It takes a personal relationship. If you haven't accepted him personally as your Savior and your Lord, that's, that's the first step. That's where it all begins. And then you begin to study his word. You begin to read his love story to you. You begin to identify not only who he is, but identify who you are. You're the beloved. You're the son. You're the daughter of God. You have royalty in your veins. You're a partaker of his divine nature. You're complete in him. You're chosen in him. You're predestined in him. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There's royal blood flowing through you. And we begin to grow and we begin to learn who we are. And as we begin to believe it, our praise will become bold. And we won't give ground to the enemy. I know I'm done preaching today. I promise you. But I am so amazed at how weak that not only our nation, but our, the church in America has become. But I'm thoroughly convinced it's because we've had a cotton candy religion for the last 15 years that we've got so fat on. Give me, give me, give me. What can I get? What can I get? That there's no sacrifice. Didn't figure I'd get any amens right there. But it didn't come for the amen. Has anybody been in the church long enough to remember when the church, the altar wasn't just a place to come and get something? It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place to die. It was a place to say, not my will, but your will be done. It was a place to come and say, it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And as a secondary consequence of my surrender, I seek first the kingdom, and then all of these other things are added to me. I'm just trying to pastor today. Because somewhere along the way, we lost our way. Somewhere in the journey, it's become about God being a Santa Claus. To we get, get, get. But the reality of it is we've got to grow in him. And when we grow in him, we begin to know who we are. And when we know who we are, we know that we can be strong and do exploits. 
Amen. I want to become bold. I want to know Father God, and I want to know who he has created me to be so that I can be bold, so I can be strong, so I can do exploits. Amen. Praise God. You're here, moving in our midst, and I worship you. 